This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Next up on the Mutual Audio Network, fiction from our future. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles, an audio adventure. The story thus far. After escaping an attack in Homer, coordinated by the Black Door Group, McAllen and Tully stumbled onto the Cedar Elm, lying in deep water in the Gulf of Alaska. The Hail Mary's mini-sub and ROV were jerry-rigged together in order to launch a recovery mission for the mysterious key that McAllen had been searching for. When they reach the wreck, McAllen and Tully discover that the key is actually a sarcophagus, and the female face that adorns it bears a striking resemblance to McAllen. As the pair pull away from the wreck, they discover that the Cedar Elm was covered with depth charges that suddenly detonated. Back on the surface, Oberlin is kidnapped by Whit Roberts and is questioned and tortured in an abandoned offshore oil rig. His current whereabouts are unknown. The explosion of the Cedar Elm left McAllen and Tully injured. After manually inflating their lift bags, McAllen and Tully began a rocky and perilous journey to the surface, where upon breaching, they found a strangely modified gunboat bearing down on them. Using one of the depth charges from the Cedar Elm that was lodged in the ROV, Tully secretly maneuvered under the hull of the gunboat and activated the charge. With the threat of the gunboat eliminated, the gravity of their situation strikes McAllen and Tully. They are floating dead in the frigid Alaskan water. With no options left, McAllen uses the communication device given to her by Anton and Othello, thus alerting them, and potentially others, to her location. And now, Chapter 7, The Key Within. So let me guess, your cell phone ran out of juice. I turned it on, pressed the call button, and then a series of numbers and symbols flashed on the screen, and then nothing. But it did seem like it had power for a second. Yeah, well, I don't think anyone is going to hear us out here. We're sort of in a dead zone. No pun intended. Seriously, Tully, you must have something on board. A flare gun, a hand-cranked radio, a Snickers bar. We ate my last power bar about six hours ago. Are you much of a fisherman? Yes. The lady will have the pan-seared monkfish, and I'll have the shrimp scampi. (laughs) I'd settle for a hot cup of coffee. Ah, me too. I think we should head down below. This wind chill is starting to get serious. What if a boat passes by? It'll be dark soon, and we're only a few inches off the waterline. Nobody's going to see us unless they're right on top of us. I mean, not until morning. Someone will see us in the morning. You sure? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. 
Everything I touch is so cold. I can't feel my fingers and toes. Start shaking them and keep flexing your toes. It'll help a little bit. I'm trying. I'm getting so... What do you think it's worth? What? What are you talking about? The, the key. That sarcophagus that's hanging off the sub. What do you mean? Well, if that thing is Egyptian, a museum might pay 20, 30 million dollars for that thing. You remember when they found King Tut's tomb? It's not for sale. Everything is for sale, at some price. Not this. Don't you get it? This isn't a treasure hunt. This isn't about money. We're trying to save lives. Our own lives. People are trying to kill us. This thing, this key, is the only bargaining chip we have. So let's give them what they want. Let's give this key up to whoever keeps chasing us, and let's walk away from this thing. In case you forgot, they were trying to kill us before we got the key. Stop thinking with your damn wallet. Look, I've still got a debt that I gotta- Shut up! Don't tell me to shut up. I... No, no, shut up, shut up! Listen, do you hear something? What? Some- some thunder, maybe? That's not thunder. It's something else. It's getting louder. Quick, let's go outside. Maybe it's a boat. A narrow triangle-shaped aircraft was falling flat out of the sky. It was a deep cobalt blue and seemed to be spinning tightly on its own axis like the minute hand of a clock quickly spinning backwards. Tully saw it, then lost it again. The long, sleek craft was descending at breakneck pace, but it did not seem to be in freefall. It was locked in a furious flat spin, but somehow it seemed to be controlled and orderly. The wings of the aircraft stretched along the entire length of the narrow fuselage. The very tips of the wings then slanted backwards to meet at the very back of the aircraft. The aircraft seemed to be slowing slightly in its plunge out of the sky. This was a relief to both McAllen and Tully, because both were getting the distinct impression that this aircraft was about to crash right on top of them. As the plane fell closer, McAllen saw three circular vents uncover themselves on the underside of the craft, one under each of the wings, and the third located directly under the nose. When the plane was about 200 feet from the surface of the ocean, the interior of the circles began to spin violently, releasing a massive gust of force that sent seawater spraying everywhere. The hover fans underneath the ship slowed the aircraft's descent and rotation and brought it to a complete stop mere inches above the surface of the water. With an abrupt surge of the engines, the plane gave the briefest of shudders and collapsed into the ocean, floating peacefully giving it the impression of a floating island of deep blue sapphire. In the center of the plane, a long, rounded half-cylinder ran the length of the aircraft, tapering off at the plane's tail. Even though it now lay only 20 feet from the mini-sub, neither McAllen nor Tully could discern any welds, rivets, or openings. Then, about midway down the spine of the aircraft, a hatch did appear. It slid to the left, into the body of the aircraft, and two tall figures in white flight suits emerged from within the aircraft. They walked out onto the wings of the floating plane as shallow waves of water washed onto their feet. The two men quickly surveyed the situation around and above them. When satisfied, the pair began an urgent walk towards McAllen and Tully as they removed their flight helmets. Anton, Othello? You rang? Meanwhile, several miles above the Earth, a small white blimp hovered deep within the bowels of a cumulus cloud. The cloud itself was not like the other clouds around it, but rather was comprised of a specially designed gas that hid the blimp for all senses that sought to find it. The blimp was called the Idrisil, and was the most cherished place of its sole occupant. After checking on several test tubes in the laboratory, Whit Roberts entered a room filled with monitors, consoles and keyboards. 
The room was a symphony of technology, and Wit was its conductor, orchestrating several calculations and algorithms simultaneously. A blinking icon on his left screen caused Wit to establish an encrypted communications channel. A familiar face filled one of his screens. Wit, this is J Jason. Tanaka failed in his apprehension maneuver. I fear we've lost our target. I was hoping you might have picked something up from your monitoring position. Some idea where they're heading? I haven't detected anything. The only thing I got was a strong carrier wave burst that contained multiple frequencies within the same bandwidth. Locate a beacon. Exactly. Please tell me you're able to isolate the signal and triangulate the location. No, no, not even close. I could only detect it for a few seconds. The best I could determine was that it originated somewhere in the northern hemisphere. But that can only mean one thing. What's that? Leviathan is on the move. If they're using that damn ship of theirs, they could be anywhere in the world by now. You're right. We've had no luck in trying to detect their aircraft on even our most sophisticated satellite sentences. We get it for a quick second and then it's gone. Vanished. We'll have access to all their technology soon enough. Not if we can't eliminate the threat that McCowan also represents. Wit, run usual global sweep searches. Keep monitoring all activity near the Marianas Trench. Our friends there might know more than they're letting on. In the meantime, I'll work with our mole to see if I can't uncover some more information. We're in a race against time now, Wit. If McCallum finds out the truth, our job will have just become a whole lot harder. Back in the Gulf of Alaska... Oh my god, Anton! Othello, you found us! I can't believe you found us! It would have been difficult without the locator device that we gave you. We would have expected to find you about a thousand miles south of here. What the hell are you doing floating in the middle of the Gulf? Um, I think an introduction might be in order. Tully, this is Anton and Othello. Anton Othello, this is Jeffrey Tully, captain of the Hail Mary. Just Tully is fine. That locator beacon you gave me? I only had it on for a minute. How did you find us? To be honest, we didn't get a very precise fix on your location. But we sent a polarized carrier wave back over the frequency repeater to initiate a recalibration of your triangulation software. What? We told your cell phone to shut off because we didn't want anyone else to discover your location. That's why Senshon didn't want us to give it to you in the first place. Too many people are looking for you, McCallan. The gunboat! They never said they wanted the key. The key? You obtained it! You bet we did. What is it worth to you? Who is this man in the fuzzy pink sweater? He's with me. Don't worry, he's cool. He just doesn't know when to quit sometimes. We got the key. It's hanging off the side of the sub. The ROV has it in its clamps. Well, we shouldn't waste much time. Let's get you two and the key on board as fast as possible. Half the world could come down at us at any time. That's why we went into glide mode and entered freefall over your location. We had to reduce our exhaust signature to diminish our heat profile. Yeah, it looked like you guys were going to crash right into the water. We were in complete control of our aircraft at all times. We executed a complex aeronautical maneuver that I highly doubt you... Hey, take it easy. I'm just admiring your ride. Well, we need to move the admiration inside. We want to get out of sight as soon as possible. Out of whose sight? We haven't seen another soul, except for the gunboat that tried to blow us to Kingdom Come. What sort of crew was on the gunboat? What did they look like? I'm not sure. I didn't see him. It doesn't matter right now. Othello, you get the key on board and I'll reset our photo cloak. Your what? You'll see. Othello ran along the floating wing and jumped about 25 feet to land aboard the mini sub. He got down on his hands and knees and peered over the side to get some bearing of where the ROV was hanging. After his inspection, he leapt deftly off the mini sub and landed back on the wing of the aircraft. I'll bring this ship closer for you to board. 
Call up a pair of friends you got. Did you see him I jump? I can't believe they found us. Hey, don't get too grateful. A few hours ago, you were telling me that these guys stuck you with needles. I know I said that, but my gut tells me they were trying to protect me. Look at our situation, Tully. It's freezing. Our only protection from the elements is to climb down into the sub, probably before we slowly starve to death. We weren't going to die, McAllen. We were just in a, in a little bit of a jam. I like your optimism, but just the same, I'd rather go where they're going. Doesn't look like we have much of a choice. Oh my god, look at the plane. The dark, rich blue that covered the plane suddenly shimmered brightly in silver light. McAllen and Tully squinted their eyes and then watched the silver light slowly fade into a dark shade of green. Okay, I've never seen anything like that before. The whole plane just changed colors. It's like camouflage. That is amazing. Come on, Tully. Stick with me. You'll find surprises are pretty par for the course when it comes to Leviathan. <sighs> After you... Inside the condor, McAllen, Tully, Anton and Othello had gathered around the sarcophagus in the cargo bay. Much to McAllen's surprise, Anton and Othello did not seem pleased. This is all there was? Did you check the entire wreck? This is not possible. In case you weren't aware, it sort of blew up on us. This has to be it. There was this greenish light all around it. I mean, what else could it be? It's not the key. How do you know? Senshin didn't tell me what I should be looking for. Do you even know what the key looks like? No. No, I don't. But I do know that that's not it. Why do you say that? If it's not the key, then what is it? It is a keyhole. Othello's right. What exactly is a keyhole? It is a means of transportation over great distances. How? Keyholes are spatial portals. They can link different locations regardless of distance. They open and one walks within them, and then in a matter of seconds we'll walk out of a matching keyhole in a different location. But there's only one problem. What's that? They haven't worked for over 70 years. Every keyhole we've encountered has been dead. It's like the system has been shut down. The, the key was supposed to be something different. Something uh, pure. Anton, we have to get out of here. If we stay longer, we could be picked up by a satellite. You're right. Let's get to the cockpit. All hatches secure. We have the keyhole secure in the cargo hold. Initiating Hydro Scram mode. Engines are online and all power systems are nominal. So, how does this thing take off from the water? Do we hover up or take off fast like a seaplane? Boy, I'm chill, Vic. What did he say? Let's just say he was questioning your underlying assumptions. What do you mean? Captain Tully, we're not going up. We're going down. What? Oh, my God. We're sinking. McCallum felt the floor drop beneath her. Water began to pour over the cockpit window as the plane began to sink into the sea. Within seconds, the plane was completely underwater and descending rapidly before coming to a stop about 50 feet underwater. Looking upwards from the cockpit window, she could see the bottom of the mini-sub floating on the surface, as well as the long umbilical cord of the ROV in front of them. A school of sablefish swam by and looked on distractedly at this unusual intrusion into their domain before darting away. What kind of plane is this? It's called the Condor. It's a very unique aircraft that was built for the Leviathan group. It flies at over Mach 4 and also has some amphibious qualities, as you can see. I can't believe we're underwater. How deep can we go? Not very. This really isn't a submarine in the traditional sense. At least, not in our sense. But it does enable us to maintain a stealth profile, being discovered as a constant threat to us, and one that's becoming more difficult to deal with every day. 
As mankind becomes more technologically sophisticated, the Leviathan group has had to continually adapt to keep our existence secret. When we had an approximate fix on your location, we immediately scrambled to reach you before anyone could intercept the signal. We were supersonic at great altitude over the ocean directly above you. One of the features that makes the Condor unique is its braking system. We were able to go from Mach 4 to a complete stop in less than 30 seconds. The explosions we heard. A very advanced form of air brakes. And then, by maintaining a powerless glide spin directly over you, we would remain invisible to any heat-tracking radar systems. Pretty amazing, but what about non-heat-tracking radar? They certainly won't find us underwater. Not only have we literally cooled our jets, but we can cruise at close to 90 miles per hour as long as we stay above 100 feet underwater. Our plan is to put some distance between us and the location of the Cedar Elm before we become airborne. Won't satellites pick up something this big moving underwater? Our photo clock system is highly adept at camouflaging our profile. The surface of the ship changes its molecular texture to reflect different parts of the light spectrum. By changing colors to blend with our surroundings, the condor is very difficult to detect by even the most sophisticated man-made satellites. I didn't know there was another kind. Listen, what should we do about my mini-sub? Can we put some sort of tracking beacon on it so it can be retrieved later? I really don't want to leave it just floating out here. Of course not. I almost forgot. Othello reached over and pushed a button on the cockpit. Jesus Christ, what the hell did you just do? That was my mini-sub. You fucking blew up my mini-sub. It was for security purposes. Anyone scanning the ocean floor near the Cedar Elm would find the wreckage of your mini-sub, giving the impression that you died in the explosion. Security, my ass! That cost over half a million dollars, you son of a bitch! Captain Tully, if your mini-sub were to be found, a great deal of information regarding the Cedar Elm, its contents, and your location would be ascertained. We'd rather that not happen. Well, fuck you. I'd rather have my mini-sub back. I can't exactly afford to replace that. I ought to kick your ass I'm for- afraid of little pink sweater, man. Look, Captain Tully, I am sorry, but it is necessary. Whomever is looking for McCallum will not stop until you are both captured or dead. This will lead them to think that you have died due to explosion damage on the mini-sub, or perhaps due to your encounter with that gumbo. How? The hull is going to be resting at 10,000 feet deep. Who exactly is going to find out? You'd be surprised. I am surprised. Who the hell do you two thugs think you are? The one saving your lives. Now get in the back, Pinky. Hey, screw- I assure you that you will be made whole for the cost that you have incurred, Captain Tully. Now, if you would please, I need to complete the Condor's prep for Hydroscram. What's that? Just as McCallan spoke, she felt the ground beneath her begin to shift backwards. Then she realized it wasn't the floor, but the entire cockpit was sliding backwards into the Condor. A metal sheath slid down over the cockpit windows, causing the room to go completely black for a split second. Automated cabin lighting responded quickly, bathing the cockpit in soft blue light. In place of where the cockpit windows were, video screens suddenly illuminated and gave a full outside view of the craft underwater. Depth, temperature, headings, as well as several other electronic gauges that McCallan couldn't identify crowded the periphery of her view of the outside. Hydroscram is the ability of the Condor to descend to a relatively shallow depth underwater and then propel itself at high speed in a manner very similar to flight in the air. It's not something we care to utilize often because it's inherent risks, but we want to get out of this area quickly in case anybody picked up your locator beacon, or if the gunboat was able to relay your status or location. We're going to put about 200 miles between us and this location in the next two hours. There's not much time, so if you would please... Please what? Get into the back by the cargo hold and fasten yourselves in. We are about to begin acceleration and the water can often produce more turbulence than the air. We must leave this location quickly before anyone has a chance to find us. McAllen, please. Go back there. I promise it will be alright. 
I trust you, but be nicer to Tully. He's been a good friend so far. Come on, Tully. Let's go in the back and strap in. Outside the condor, 90 feet underwater, one of the bravest sablefish cautiously approached the giant aircraft in hope of scavenging a small meal of algae off its wings. But before it could get close, the giant ship streaked away in a violent surge of water that left the fish spinning and disoriented. It had never seen another fish move that fast underwater. Tully. Hey, Tully. I'm so sorry about what Anton and Othello did to your mini-sub. They seem like they don't care, but they really- They don't care. They do care. That's why they wanted to fake our deaths. Look, I don't know how much one of those mini-subs costs, but I know that I can help this you This isn't out. about the mini-sub. What? what do you mean? They don't care about Oberlin. At the end of the day, I really couldn't give a rat's ass about the mini-sub or the Hail Mary if my best friend isn't, isn't around. I mean, we don't know where he is, if he's alive, or, or whatever. I, we should be looking for him, or at least we, at least scanning for wreckage of the Hail Mary. This thing has got so many gizmos, it could probably... They said the Condor wasn't a submarine. <sighs> They're trying to get us out of here as quickly as they can before we get discovered. I know if there was anything they could do, Anton and Othello would do it. They would have mentioned if they saw the Hail Mary on radar. They'd probably try to get rid of me and drop me off on it. And that must mean, wherever it is, it's not floating. <sighs> Callan, why are you trusting them so much? Weren't these the guys that jabbed you with a needle after a car crash that they instigated? That's true. But they also gave me that communicator that saved us. Sension told them not to because it would be too dangerous, too easily picked up by someone else. They did it anyway. Look, I've never seen an aircraft like the Condor, but it's clear that they're using this to pick us up and get us out of here quickly because other people are looking for us and seem to want to kill us. We're in the middle of something dangerous, Tully. You are in the middle of something. No, we are in the middle of something. I'm trying to save my Nana, as well as my own neck. And you, you're part of this too. Until we find Oberlin, until we find out what happened to him and who's responsible, you are in this too. I need you, Tully, because I know I can trust you. You barely know me. Why do you- Because you're the only one who didn't come looking for me. I dragged you into this, not the other way around. That's how I know I can trust you. Yeah, well, I don't... Um, thanks, McAllen. Not many people have been thinking much of me these days. Aw, they just haven't seen you in that hot pink sweater. You know, I really gotta get rid of this thing. There's got to be something else around here that I could put on. Here, I'll help you. Let's try to find something. I think I saw some storage containers over there by the main hatch. You check those and I'll search the metal crates under the seat. Finding anything? Nothing. Just medical supplies. I don't get it. They said this thing is a, it's a keyhole? Tully, you saw that thing glowing down there. Glowing in the pitch black water. I know, I saw it too. But look, maybe the rat tail fish were just mating or something. We don't know it. Oh, come on, Tully. Look at this thing. It was calling us. We went up and down the whole wreck of the Cedar Realm, and we didn't see anything else. We didn't survey the whole wreck. But we didn't see anything else like this. Sension said I'd know when I saw it, and I'm saying this has to be it. Do you have any sense of what these carvings say? They look like some sort of hieroglyphics. They might not even be words. I'm not sure. McAllen approached the sarcophagus tentatively. Her resemblance to the face was striking. Its lips were her lips. Its eyes were her eyes. 
She placed her hands on the face of the sarcophagus. Suddenly, the metallic eyes opened and stared. Oh my. Tully, did you see that? The eyes opened. They're open now, Tully. It's made of metal. How can it move like that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Jesus, it's like that statue is alive or something. Without warning, a seam made itself visible by running along the side of the sarcophagus. The seam began to widen, and then as if breaking away, the entire front of the sarcophagus swung open to reveal an inner chamber inside. It was odd because Tully could detect no hinge, and it seemed like the metal was bending itself open. Within the chamber, a compartment in the outline of a human body was clearly evident. I'm not an Egyptologist, but this doesn't seem like it was meant for burial. Why do you say that? Well, sarcophagi in Egypt were used as the burial vessels for the pharaohs in the noble class. They were often filled with treasure and gold that the elite would use in the afterlife. Can't take it with you. Yeah, well, that's not what they thought. Anyway, look at this. There's only room for one body. I don't follow. I mean, there's no room for any kind of treasure or riches. Plus, there's no body in it, Tully. This can't be Egyptian. Maybe Anton was right. Maybe this is one of the keyholes. Who else was creating these sarcophaguses? Sarcophagi. Whatever. Not sure. Hey, hey, don't get too close to that thing. It's okay, I just want to see something. McCallan. I just want to see if there's room for... Yes. Oh my god. What is it? Breasts. Come again? Breasts. Tully, look at the carve-out of the front part of the keyhole. It has an outline for women's breasts. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Because breasts are comprised of soft tissue. That would decompose quickly. This is meant for a woman who is alive. Uh, no, McCallan. Tully. We've got to see what this thing is all about. We've got to see. Stay away from Just keep an eye on me, Tully. Before he could stop her, McCallan entered the sarcophagus and placed herself in the cavity within. As soon as her skin made contact with the surface of the mysterious vessel, the front violently swung shut, locking McCallan inside. She could hear no sound, feel nothing, and utter darkness surrounded her until a light a single point of light began to illuminate in front of her, then another, and another, until slowly there was a slight illuminating glow from within the tight confines of the cavity within. McAllen had little room to move her arms or legs. It felt like a few inches, but no more than that. It was as if this sarcophagus was custom-made for exactly her body. She could see that each point of light that had illuminated the space within seemed to have dimension. It was hard to make out and confusing, and as McCallan looked downwards at each of the countless points of light, she saw that they were not mere illuminations. They were needles. Needles that were growing out of the surface of the inside of the sarcophagus. McCallan struggled. She shook violently from side to side, but the sarcophagus gave her no room to move or breathe. She was trapped, the needles growing longer, longer, until finally they shot out, into her, inside of her. And then darkness. Jason Sterling placed the telephone back on the large receiver that sat on his desk. He stared at the black door to his office and seemed to be lost in thought. His finger fumbled on the underside of his desk until he found a small button that protruded just to the right of his knee. After pressing it, he heard several tumblers within his door snap shut, as well as a hiss like an airlock depressurizing. He swiveled his chair to the computer screen on his left side and began to type the URL of a very special website, www.babydollgirls.com. 
a website featuring young women in various states of undress wearing lingerie tumbling off their bare shoulders loaded on his screen. He clicked on the link for webcam shows, and after a bit of loading, a beautiful young blonde woman clad in only a pale pink bra and thong was lounging on the bed. She was writhing gently on the bed and feigned surprise at the virtual visitor knocking on her cyber door. Hey there, hottie. You caught me being a naughty girl. I was just having a little fun by myself until you came. Do you want to watch me finish the job? This is Central Authority, Black Door Code 54, Charlie, Tango, Zebra, 93268. Activate Secure Link, patch through encrypted Link 7 with Research Station Asgard. Initiate Communication Security Protocol 10. Copy, verification confirmed. Security Protocol 10 is now in effect. Initiating Secure Link 7, Black Door to Asgard. Intermediary I-69 disengaging and logging off. The image of a shapely young girl vanished and was replaced by an image of a tired-looking office with an empty metal chair in it. Jason could hear slow footsteps getting louder. Finally, an elderly man in his late 60s walked into the camera's field of vision and sat down in the chair. He looked back through the camera at Jason and sighed. <sighs> Jason, I hope you understand that these interruptions only serve to prolong the development time of our specimens. My specimens. Your specimens. Evolution does not simply react to the whims that the Black Door Group so dictate. We are doing everything we can. I have so reasons I... for inquiring about your viability studies. What is the current status of the lab rats? They continue to surprise us. How so? Jason, I can't even begin to describe it. I'm sure you've read my report. They have surpassed even our most ambitious predictions. But their bodies are still not stable. They still maintain the half-life of... How long? Jason, it's too early. I asked, how long? Approximately three hours outside of the incubator. I need 12 hours. <laughs> We're nowhere close to that. Then you need to get close. We believe Leviathan has obtained their precious key. I thought it was a myth. The key exists. We believe so. The rebels have achieved the first step to their independence, which could mean the downfall of everything we stand for. How they did it is not important right now. What is important is that you give me a working prototype that will last 12 hours with full transference. Jason, full transference is still unstable. We can't control We the... will use a booster signal with relays that I will put in place. My supplier of this technology has delivered what they have promised. If the signal is compromised, anyone could learn the nature of our experiments and expose the Black Door group. Any leak could be catastrophic. Catastrophic, so I've been told. That risk is mine to take. You need to give me 12 hours by any means necessary. We might be able to try a more powerful combination of radiation suppressants Any might... means necessary. I will make every effort. What about your little henchman? How much does he know? You mean Whit Roberts? At this point, he's not fully aware of the scope of the operation. I've kept his role compartmentalized within the realm of information retrieval. However, he has proven to be exceptionally loyal and is very, very good in the field. When I know that your work's goals have been achieved, then I will reveal the full scope of the Black Door Group's activities to wit. Jason, there are other doors. None of which concern us. As you wish. Jason, I won't lie. Twelve hours of stability could be difficult to achieve. In order to understand the exact combination of exposure and suppressants, we will need more supplies. We've spoken about this. There is no way around it. I will need more supplies. At least... twenty. Twenty? At least, Jason. 
In order for you to have a fully functional prototype with the specifications you desire, I will have to attempt the radically different approach to the construction and cultivation. There is no other way. This isn't easy, Peter. You can expect a supply rendezvous in 48 hours. Understood. Peter. Yes? A war is about to erupt, and we need the tools to win it. Nobody can find us. Then I guess we're lucky that we have the Dakota. Back on the condor. McAllen, are, are you okay? Uh, Tully. Are you okay, McAllen? Yeah, I think so. I just feel so different. I was... It was... Oh my god, Tully, all these needles came out and stabbed me and went into me. Where? All over. There had to be hundreds of them. McAllen, I can't find a mark on you. There's no blood anywhere. There have to be marks everywhere. I just got mauled and maybe injected with something. How could McAllen. I... You're taller. No way. I'm not taller. You're just crazy. Callan, how tall are you? 5'8". I'm 6'2", and you're not far below meeting me eye to eye. That's impossible. I couldn't have just grown four inches. You're wrong. I'm afraid Captain Tully is quite right. McAllen and Tully turned around to see Anton and Othello staring back at them with intense gazes. Shouldn't one of you two guys be driving the bus? Pinky sweater, the Condor has a sophisticated AI autopilot. Until we break out from the ocean, no manual input will be needed. But we needed to make sure we didn't have an intruder on board. An intruder? We're talking about McAllen. She's been somehow modified. Modified? How? What the hell has been done to me? It would appear that you are now one of us. You are now mortal, McAllen. My god, Othello. Ascension was right about her. She must be the one. We don't know that yet. I can't believe that the transformation device was disguised as keyhole. What? Immortal? I'm not exactly sure how this has occurred, but I'm afraid it's true. You are one of us now. Whatever occurred within the keyhole permanently altered your DNA. My suspicion is that device, that keyhole, was designed specifically for you. How the hell do you know that? You didn't even see me enter the sarcophagus. You weren't even in the room. McCallum, anyone who is part of Leviathan, any immortal, has the ability to attune. It's a sort of telepathy that allows every Leviathan member to communicate over great distances with any other. You can read each other's thoughts? It doesn't quite work like that. Attuning works more like a mental bulletin board, where the thoughts and emotions of one individual can be shared with many. When one attunes, they can sift through the thoughts of thousands to find and communicate with that one person. You're very special, McAllen. You already had some of the mental properties of a Leviathan member. But it would appear that this keyhole has modified and amplified your latent abilities. How do you know that I... Because you spoke to us. What? You screamed out. We both heard you in the cockpit. We first thought another Leviathan member had somehow infiltrated the condor. It was as if someone other than you and the pinky sweater were in the aft of the ship. And now, here we are, able to attune with you, McAllen. But I don't know how to attune. I don't... Yes, you do, McAllen. You can hear me now, can't you? Yes. Yes, I hear you. But our lips aren't moving. Imagine a thought. Or an image. Now throw it at me like a football, using only your mind. I'm trying. <laughs> That's what you're thinking about? You haven't washed your hair in a week and are wondering if there's a shower on board the condor. Well, if what you're saying is true, I wouldn't want to spend the rest of eternity with greasy hair. You're going to have a lot more to worry about than your hair. You're very special, McAllen. Why does everyone keep saying that? Keep saying what? What's going on? You are special. 
because it is believed that you can lead us to a cure to the disease that has been affecting us. But there are some people, including Senshin and ourselves, who believe that there are forces at work that may not want us to be cured. You, McAllen, represent the best chance of stopping them. That's why you are being hunted. That's why some people want you dead. But we will never let that happen, McAllen. You are safe with us. Wait, just wait. What exactly am I supposed to do? And what kind of... Quick, Anton, we need to get back to the cockpit. We've reached the breakout point. What the hell is the breakout point? It's where the condor breaks out of the ocean and resumes normal flight in the air. Please trap yourselves back in. Wait a minute, you haven't even told us where the hell we're going. Tully's right, Anton. If I'm really immortal, and one of you now, you've got to start telling me everything that's going on. We're taking you to someone who can explain everything to you and answer all of your questions. And where exactly does that person live? India. A fellow tugged on Anton's flight suit and nudged him towards the cockpit. Outside on the Gulf of Alaska, the surface of water seemed placid and smooth, but suddenly a mound moving more than 100 miles per hour began to grow. Water was being pushed violently upwards from the streaking condor. It approached the surface of the ocean and sent waves of water furiously streaking aside. The condor erupted out of the ocean and streaked upwards towards the setting sun. Inside, McCallum felt as if something long slumbering inside of her had been awoken. She knew this transformation was part of her destiny being fulfilled, but what role did she play in this deadly cat-and-mouse game between Leviathan and its enemies? The answers, she hoped, would come soon. India. India. You have been listening to The Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. For more episodes and information, log on to www.leviathanchronicles.com. Hello, I'm John Bell of Bells in the Bat Free. It's a comedy podcast. Fridays and every other Sunday. Well, anyway, back in episode five of Bells in the Bat Free... We introduced the cowlets, tiny little cows. Where did all these cats come from? They're not cats, they're cows, and they're heading toward the water cooler. Stop it before... Now you can display your love of these tiny cows with genuine cowlet t-shirts. You know what's really fun to do with these shirts? Get a whole bunch of people to buy them. Then you all gather together and run down the street. People will see these cowlets coming toward them and think it's a stampede. You think that would really work, Brad? Shh, we're pushing for bulk sales here. You can also get cowlet mugs, clocks, and other items. Just go to thebatfree.com and click on shop. This is a limited time offer. No, it's not. You just do not not understand advertising, do you? Get your merchandise today with the official Cowlet design created by Jeff Music. Buying lots of them would bring music to my ears. Oh, stop. Stop.